All right, I think I'm just going to do the whole show with the Ike Live logo right over my face. That might be better because I'm I'm not a great looking guy. Uh, what a welcome to a brand new Ike Live. How's everybody doing? I hope you're having a wonderful day, night, evening, morning, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening this uh, to this podcast to. Uh, we got a good one for you today, guys. Uh, we got a good friend of mine who is in the fishing industry, but he is not a professional angler. Now, listen to me. The guy can fish. Trust me. The guy can fish, but he's a professional photographer. And we got my good buddy Shane uh, coming on in just a second here, Shane Durantz. And uh, it's going to be a great show. Uh First of all, let me just do a little catch-up. Uh, we had our first Ike Foundation Kids event uh, a few weeks ago. Amazing turnout. We had about 50 kids come out uh, from hardcore tournament kids to kids that never fished before. So thank you to everyone that supported that event. Um, we're just a day away from the Ike Foundation Pro-Am on the Upper Chesapeake Bay. So hop on over to ikefoundation.org if you want to help get kids fishing. Check them out. This podcast is also brought to you by Mystery Tackle Box. Um, man, Mystery Tackle Box is like Christmas to your doorstep once a month. Uh, we're going to be doing an unboxing a little later in the show, but I've got a great offer for you. Listen, if you want to get the latest baits, the hottest baits to your doorstep once a month, go to mysterytacklebox.com and subscribe. In fact, if you use the promo code IKELIVE, you're going to get 30% off your first Elite Box and 50% off your first Pro Box. That's half off. So head over there, mysterytacklebox.com. Uh, Use promo code IKELIVE. Uh, also, want to just mention that um, the feedback from this shifted format from Ike Live has been phenomenal. So thank you to everybody that's been uh, emailing and texting about the new show format. I'm glad you like it. Uh, it's definitely, I'm digging it because uh, it's kind of a way to get a little more up close and personal with these guys, uh, people that I've got to meet over the years. And uh, I've had a lot of fun. So I'm glad, I'm glad you like the format. All right, enough of that small talk. Let's get Shane on here. And uh, I'm very excited. I think I, I'm 99%, 99.9% sure that this is his first time on the Ike Live show, but we're going to find out here in a second. All right, here we go. Shane, what's, what's up? up? How you doing? Not too shabby. How you doing? Good. This is uh, this is your first time on the show, right? It is, yeah. Okay, because I've said that before. I've had guests on, and I've I said, you know, welcome to the show. It's your first time. And then, and then they were like, no, I was on like eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, damn it. I'm getting old. My my memory is getting shot, man. Uh, I'm getting old. I'll be fifty in September. I know, man. It's it's hell getting old. It's it's funny because actually my body is feeling old, but you know, like mentally, I don't. I, you know, right before you came on, I I said you can burp, fart. Like I still laugh at dick jokes. Like <laughs> I don't mentally, I don't feel fifty. I feel like I'm in my teens, but the body is starting to give way just a little bit so maybe it's all that break dancing you was doing back in the day works on the joints might have been might have been speaking of break dancing uh I, I know i mentioned this before on this show but shane did you know that break dancing is an official olympic sport uh it's coming up uh 2024 summer games in paris break dancing is an official sport what along, do you think about that what along, do you think about that well along with cheerleading right Isn't it's cheerleading great <laughs> I mean, I, I love it. Like I, I, you know, I can see a day and I, I'm serious when I say this, like if breakdancing has become a professional Olympic sport, I see the day when fishing becomes an Olympic sport. Do you think that would ever happen? Well, I think what makes uh, Olympic sport is physicality, right? Yeah. It's hard to do. Yes. Yeah. As it yeah. takes physical athletic ability. People think, oh, you're just out there casting a reel. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're up at five o'clock in the morning. You're getting over in your boat. You're lugging all that heavy tackle. You're making 2000 casts a day. That's physical. It is so, physical. Yeah. I agree. I think it should be an Olympic sport. So uh, anybody from the Olympic committee watching or listening right now, and I highly doubt it, but if you are, please put fishing on the ballot 
for uh, for the next round of, of sports selection. Uh, speaking of sports selection, it's not really a sport, but Shane, I, I'm put you on the spot, dude. I've with a lot of photographers over the years in in this fishing thing, and you're good, man. You're good. Your images are just. I don't know. There's something uh, about your photos that I, I love. I'm very attracted to, and uh, you're really good. You're super talented, and we are lucky, lucky, lucky to have you uh, in the fishing industry and to be working at Bass. It's so nice to have you. So thank you for being a great photographer at Bass. We we need that. We got to highlight our sport, you know? Right. How, how did? Uh, and I never asked you this. How did you get into all this mess? Like. You know, normally I have I have dumb fishermen on the show, and I, how did you get into fishing? That same question over and over. But this is cool because you're an amazing photographer. How, but how did you how did you get into this whole mess? Well, you know, fishing's always been in my blood. My dad was a big bass fisherman. You know, and growing up as a kid, uh, my grandfather lived on the Chattahoochee chain on a place called Lake Oliver. It's between Columbus, Georgia, and Phoenix City, Alabama, and he was the only um, uh, marina on the Alabama side. Now, Lake Oliver. You can't think of as like you like you fall or, or Lanier, right? Very vast, large, you know, body of water. I like Oliver is very small, but I grew up, um, you know, spending my summers there. And you know, my dad he worked he worked hard, you know, all day long. Come home in the afternoon, and and we'd go straight to the lake almost every day fishing. And so you know, really, what I want to do since I was, I don't know, probably seven eight years old was be a, a professional bass fisherman. Yeah, but I always carried my camera with me. When I say I carried my camera, it was like a little, you know, you know, Walmart special plastic dealio. It had the little cube on the top that spun around. And so yeah. um, there was one year when we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for vacation. And um, I took some pictures of some really large deer, like in very, very close range. And they all came back blurry. And I told my dad, I said, I don't want to ever take another bad picture the rest of my life. And so um, this is going to tell you how redneck, you know, we are. And I'm not ashamed of that at all is my dad was a trapper and he he trapped you know for the fur market bobcat fox uh raccoons that kind of thing and so he said look i tell you what if you help me run the trap line this year you know i'll give you a portion of that money to put towards a camera and so we did and you know back then when the fur market was big you know bobcats bringing 65 dollars the red fox bringing 50 bucks mm. and so I, I raised enough money during the trap season to buy my first canon t50 it was um it was a big deal back then. And so I started taking photos, just really going hunting and fishing with my dad. And that's pretty much how I got started. It's awesome because as you were talking, it was like the analogies of guys that have got started with anything that they're really good at. I heard a lot of the same stuff. Like we've had, I've had a bull rider on the show and I've had football players and, and, you know, people that are good at their craft. And it's like, always, it's like, they got an early start and they sort of just they got good at it. And then they got to this point where they're like, man, I want to get better. And they did something to better themselves. And that sounds like the same story. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it always was a hobby for me. And, you know, it, the cool thing these days and that we're living in now is you can do two things. You can work to live or you can live to work. And, you know, people who have worked hard in the mills and, you know, back in the day, and my dad built tires for General Goodrich for 22 years. Yeah. You know, they they worked to live. They worked to live their weekends and, and hunt on the weekends and fish on the weekends. And, you know, being able to do something that you love to do for work, which yeah. professional bachelors are, was something that, you know, a lot, a lot. my dad didn't really support me a lot in the beginning. And he said, you're not going to make any money at it. And guess what? He was right for about 15 years. But, um, you know, I got started that way. And then I had um, a, a girl in my class when I was uh, in high school and she said, Hey, I want to you know, be a model. And, you know, I know you like photography. Can you come take some pictures of me in this waterfall by your house? And I was like, huh, never thought about that side of photography before. Yeah. And it just kind of starts snow snowballing. Yeah. Um, there. That that's awesome. That's awesome. And, and that, that brings up something too, is that I think maybe a lot of people from afar that look at your work and fishing, they think, well, that's the only thing that Shane ever photographed was fishing. Right. But you've done you've done a lot more, right? Like I, I know we had a couple uh, times together when we were shooting together. You told me some some good stories of some other stuff that you filmed. What what kind of other stuff for people listening and watching? What kind of other stuff have you photographed? Well, 
I wouldn't say filmed. I would say photographed. Because <laughs> <laughs> it could, that could lead into a whole different different realm. But Right, right. So me and my dad, to step back one little bit, me and my dad started a company called Phil's Barbecue in Ufall, Alabama. Um, our family still owns it to the day. And the restaurant business is eight days a week, 36 hours a day. And it was it was just too much, man. And so tough, um, yeah. we decided to get out of that. And I went to uh, art school at uh, Art Institute of Atlanta in it, um, uh, 1999, I think it was. And um, I graduated with a commercial photography degree. And I didn't really know what to do with that exactly. So what I, I really wanted to do fashion. And when you think of fashion, you can't think of, you know, glamour, you know, glamour magazine and all these, you know, these fashion magazines. You know, fashion really is in every aspect of life. Yeah. Um, and and so I seeked out the top fashion photographers in the world. Um, I was working for, you know, uh, uh, Klaus Rickrath out of Germany, uh, Art Stryber out of Los Angeles, who does all of the uh, big spreads for the fashion magazines. And I, I wanted to learn. And it's, you know, the kids these days, they go, oh, I can just go to Best Buy and, and buy me a camera and I'll be a photographer. Well, yeah, but if you're a brain surgeon, you're not going to go in and start whacking away before you watch somebody <laughs> else do it. I mean, oh my God. I wanted to go in and learn as much as possible. And I was nothing but a photo assistant for five years. I shot little things here and there, you know, but I wanted to learn from the craft of the best in the world. And I did that. Um, and so one of the guys that uh, I had called was a local guy, David Rams. He was kind of my mentor. And um, I started assisting him. And, and one of his clients was Playboy magazine. And, and not only was he one of the best fashion photographers I've ever worked with, but he was really good at, at doing that as well. So, you know, I did Playboy for seven years. Uh, we specialized in the college tour. <clears throat> Those of you that's a little bit younger probably don't remember in September during football season, that issue would come out every year. Girls of the SEC, girls of the ACC. And um, that kind of led me into actually starting into shooting for Hawaiian Tropic Calendar, um, Hooters, Cal uh, Hooters Restaurant Group. I've been doing, yeah. um, working for them for 23 years. Uh, doing calendar stuff, but also POS, which is point and purchase sales. So if you walk into a Hooters, especially the older type Hooters, if there's a girl with a plate of wings, a pitcher of beer, Dick Vitale, Lee Corso in the window, that's the stuff that we did. And and that kind of, you know, kept pushing me into the fashion. But I didn't want to move to New York. And I didn't want to move to Los Angeles or Miami. And, um, and so and when 2008 happened, you know, we had that recession. It just absolutely destroyed everybody. Yeah. Um, and the, really the only thing that saved me then was um, we shot, I shot one photo of a picture of a tornado behind me actually. And I was, you know, literally broke, evicted from my apartment, uh, moving back home. My parents didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, me and my fiance at the time decided that instead of going to Savannah and parting it up with green rivers running through, you know, Savannah, Georgia, that we'd stay home. And an hour later, a tornado hit Atlanta. And um, I got the only photo of that, which was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize, and it put me back on the map and got me back on, on my feet. Wow. And I wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't wasn't for that one photo, just wow. one photo. Wow, dude, and that I, is that that I, I didn't know that story. This is the first <laughs> time I'm hearing that from you. Yeah, if you can, you can't really see it too much behind me, but it was 9:42 p.m. March the 14th, I think, 2008, and we were literally watching. Now, I hope we don't lose any viewers on this, but I'm a huge Alabama fan. Um, so we were watching Bama play in Mississippi State in the Final Four in basketball, and they broke the news, and they said, hey, take cover if you live downtown. And I was eight-tenths of a mile from downtown. And um, instead of taking cover, I grabbed the camera and, and ran to the top of the building and was taking photos of lightning. I mean, it's super dark. You can't see anything. Yeah. I was hoping I'd capture something, and I caught like three or four photos out of maybe a couple hundred, sent them to the um, – to the weather channel or actually just a channel uh, live news who was a buddy of mine, Paul Osman at the time. And he goes, dude, I'm going to send this to Dr. Forbes at the weather channel. And Dr. Forbes created the EF system, the EF one, EF two is yeah. the tornadoes. Yeah. And then literally five minutes later, Dr. Forbes calls and goes, dude, you have like the only photo of the tornado. I took the metadata from your card, matched it with the weather channels data. And we have lined it up. And this is the tornado the wall clouds wrapping around Atlanta. The white light you see is lightning. Um, the tornado is actually on the, on the left of the photo. And then I started getting hate mail saying that I photoshopped it. They, there's no way anybody took that photo at nighttime. And so I had to hire an attorney to do cease and desist letters like every single day. And then Good Morning America called. And then, you know, the Weather Channel. And then Fox News. And it just, I mean, it just exploded from there. And it really, 
literally changed my life. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how one moment or one thing can alter the direction of your career or your life or, you know, stuff like that. And I've, I've had it happen. I mean, I've had it happen with, you know, a fish catch that literally like that fish changed my life. And I've, I've told this story before. I won't give you the whole story, but you know, like when I won the classic, you know, I caught a three pounder, which it, in that event was a big one. And that fish, that lone fish catch, you know, took me from second to first. I win the classic. It changes my life. So what a cool story to, to, to hear that, you know, how something like that, it's just amazing. It's amazing. I've I've heard it from a lot of different people, and I, I it never gets old. You know, reenact that moment when you caught that fish. Man, I I don't think I can. Like I actually, it's funny because I'm gonna plug my ears. Go ahead. <laughs> I know, I know, and people still send me the link all the time, and I'm flattered by it. You know, like years later, you know, I'll have like people tag me, and and I'm looking at and on Instagram or whatever, and they're they're like 18 year old kids. Dude, this happened. This happened in 2003. They weren't alive, <laughs> but you know they tagged me, and it, it's it is like I don't get sick of looking at it. Like I'm sure you don't get sick of looking at that photo. I don't get sick of watching that moment and reliving it because you know I know it changed my life. Uh, you know I I was, I think I would. I, I think had I not won that classic, I would not be here talking to you right now. Literally, I I think my life may have gone in a different direction and and you know i look back at something like that i'm like man thank god that happened because i, I love where i'm at and i love what's happened in my life and, I, and I'm, I'm sure you do too here's the other thing that hit me as you were talking we have a lot of people that are watching and listening to this right now and they already are jealous of you because not only are you a great photographer but you get to hang around the fishing scene you get to go fishing and hunting and you get to go all these events uh sponsor events and they're already jealous and now you start throwing out things like hooters and playboy <laughs> now they're really now so like literally right now we may have 30 new photographers that are going to come up here right behind you just based off of you saying that you shot boobies when you were younger you know <laughs> my wife says i went from ass to bass <laughs> And she was a girl, you know, she, we didn't meet at Hooters. She, we met through a different direction, but uh, she worked for Hooters corporate and um, we met through a little bit of a different angle, but yeah, asked about, I think I'll put it on a t-shirt actually. I went at from ass to bass. That's awesome. All right. So, but I want to, I want to put you on the spot besides that photo behind it, which is an epic photo that changed your life. Are there a few images that you've shot over the years that are just, standouts that just happened and, 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 you know, they're memorable or just crazy images that you've shot. Oh man, that's a tough question. You know, working for bass, you know, it's, it's not like we go out there and chase anglers down all day. Yeah. Um, especially when it's slow, it's Sabine river last week, you know, when, Super when, it's, slow. when it's slow, you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm looking for Osprey diving into the water I'm yeah. looking for rattlesnakes crossing the lake. I'm looking for ospreys doing what I mean. I'm looking for all kind of crazy stuff around me. Um, I remember back on the Red River um, when I worked for FOW, I shot um, Troy Morrow was fishing and it was so slow and it was hot. It was like June. And I watched a uh, osprey come down out of the sky and battle a bald eagle. And the bald eagle wow. literally turned upside down. And I have a series of photos all the way through that. Um, you know, I've been doing this for 23 years. It's like every day is different. Every day is yeah. that, that's what's spectacular about what we do. You know, I started in the studio um, as an assistant as well, shooting plates, forks, spoons, and napkins, and bedding for Bloomingdale's, Riches, and Macy's. And there's nothing exciting about that. However, right. there's money involved. But when you when you get to be involved, what we do in the hunting, fishing, boating, tactical, and off-road industry, there's always something happening that is inspiring uh, and catches my eye. Yeah. I don't know if there's other photos that really stand out. That Atlanta tornado photo was by far the most amazing one. But I mean, I, I shot a rattlesnake crossing the, the river in Sabine. You know, I shot those ospreys fighting in the air uh, today. Oh, I got my alerts wrong. Sorry. That's okay. Um, today, I was shooting for a company called Live Lures, and I do underwater videography. And I said, "Look, 
their baits are specifically made, you know, for, you know, um, bed fish or once for bed fishing. I said, look, we're not gonna find any beds. It's June, right? Yeah. Lake Lanier, north of Atlanta. It's June. Water temp is supposed to be in the eighties. And he goes, well, look, let's just go find a place where we can film and capture the action of the lure. I said, cool. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? We get down to my golden spot, my secret spot. And by the look, clients, I better not tell nobody where that's at. We filmed for maybe five minutes. I look over. There's a large mouth on bed, a four pound male. I thought it was, wow. it was a four pound large mouth and an eight pound female in June. Wow. Now we had wow. a recently, right? But there was a creek feeding in. And so we got, I mean, it's literally like almost every few jobs is something amazing and cool that, you know. Yeah. That's so cool. And, and you're right. It's, it, I love the jobs. I love people that talk about their occupations and they're different every day. Like there's that aspect of it always being unique and new. I, I love that. I love that. Um, this is a question I want to field to you because I've heard it asked for other things as well. It, 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 I, I could even apply fishing to this question, but it's a very broad question. And I, and, and, and I just want you to give me an answer. Are photo what you do taking photographs are are photos or pictures is that art is it art one hundred percent yeah it is right it is, yeah. explain that to explain that in the best way you can because there are so many people that don't see it as art and I I, I want you to try to explain that well let's let's just talk about the fishing industry and this is I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Tyler Rivet at the Sabine River. There was a sunrise um, coming up, and again, it was slow. And I think some people would go, oh, that's a cool shot, and they front light it. They put the light behind them so the, so the angler and the colors pop. It will immediately, my brain starts to think a different way about lighting. Uh, when you backlight things, like if you backlight a Hooters grill in, in, a, in a fountain or waterfall, it pops. If you backlight a fish jumping out of the water, it pops. If you have the sun on the opposite side, it doesn't work. Right. And I remember looking at Tyler, looking at where he was casting, trying to get, you know, you, you see those um, those iconic shots of the water spray out of the reel when you cast. Yeah. I was lining it up to where when he would cast, I would see that water spray. And what mm. happened was when the spray came out of the reel, it looked like the sun was actually literally on fire. And wow. I look at the bank, I look at the terrain. Um, if I see a hill coming down, I line the angler up where that terrain in the angler meets. If there's a mountain in a valley, I line the angler up for those because it's all about, to me, coming from the product world and that kind of thing. It's all about yeah. sense. And we just right. we aren't out there just taking photos. Like I literally plan a series of photos off of art of how thing. If I was going to paint it, how would I paint this mountain? You wouldn't paint a mountain with an angler directly, you know, in it. Yeah, or whatever it may be. I always look at symmetry. I don't like tangents. I don't like where things like a dock lines up with a boat perfectly. Um, and I look at every shot that I take as being a piece of art, not just some yeah. random photograph that gets you know published in Bassmaster. Yeah, it's a great description. I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you flushed it out a little bit because there are way too many people that don't think that, and there are way too many people that I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of the right way to say this because I. It's like lives. So I don't mind offending people, but <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me angry that there are so many people that take for granted that a picture is fair game to anyone when it's out there. Maybe I'm not describing this right, but like, you know, I when when, when there's a professional photograph done. I like, you know, you're someone owns that, right? Like the photographer has intellectual property for that photo. Right. And for whatever reason in the fishing industry, that concept does not resonate with people and not just in photography either. Like, like intellectual property when it comes to like ideas on lures, designs on, you know, like, for whatever reason, the fishing industry is like backwards. Like they don't grasp those concepts, but that's important, right? Like, like a photo that you take, like I, I always try to credit, you know, like you send me stuff all the time and I'm like, man, I, I'm going to credit Shane. Cause I You're want you, that. because that's your property, right? It's like, 
why why is the fishing industry backwards? Why don't they grasp that concept? I don't know, but I would love to be named the Punisher. If I could be the Punisher and go, <laughs> and, and go after people, um, I, I think it's because people aren't punished. Um, I know I said that term, but I think that's the problem. Right. Uh, if if you were to take my photo and say, "Hey Shane, I'm gonna you know use this as a placeholder for an ad." <clears throat> Hey, well, don't, if you, you know, decide to use it further than that, let me know. Sure, I'll do that. And then you see it a year later in a tackle store and your wife goes, hey, there's that photo you took. Yep. I look over and it's on packaging, 25% of the top of the photo. And I'm like, are you, and so I reached out and it was just an absolute disaster. Now, I, I do, when I see photos that are, you know, put out there with our bass guys or with some other clients and it's not a photo credit, I do say something, but you know how I many jobs i've gotten from photo credits over the last 23 years probably none really but the thing is when you take someone's property and use it for something else to benefit yourself yeah. you better be ready to pay somebody because i didn't go after that person yeah. but my, my attorney said this is a done deal we're going to start at 50 grand yeah and it's, it's something that it irritates me um there's not a lot i can do about it you know yeah. me, me and you know, our photography group in bass we share um copyright with that image and I think it's great that you guys are able to use that. Your sponsors can use it for social media. Yeah. You want to use that for iCast on a booth 40 feet tall, or you want to put it on packaging, then you should definitely call us to like work something out because yeah. it creates a bumpy road and it burns bridges. Yeah. So, some of it, some of it might be awareness too. Like I said, I, I don't know that it's all people being blatantly, you know, dumb and rude. Some of it might just be education. You know, yeah. They don't know. Uh, you know, but I, I got a, a, just a real good scenario when you were talking. It reminds me of that is like in my career, I've had times when a sponsor wanted me at a show, right? The Atlanta boat show uh, come uh, range, you know, if I'm working for Ranger boats back in the day and they want me at the Atlanta boat show. No problem. Right. That's in my contract. But then I get there and the show, the show promoter has me on the bill, you know, <laughs> promoting me on the bill and it's taking all this money in by using my image. Right. So that that's like very similar. Right. Cause it's like, right. yeah, I, I'm working for Ranger. I'm working this booth for Ranger, but you can't use me on the bill to then bring people to the show and make money. That's, it reminds me of the same thing. And and some of it might be education. So I'm, I'm glad we talked about that. Well, it's all about, you know, the value and what the entity is. So if, if that, if that one photo, tornado photo, whatever, um, if it brings an income to you as a company, then yeah. you should take care of the person that created it. Yeah. If you're going to steal it and use it for your own benefit and hopes that it brings money in, then someone needs to be compensated for it. And, you yeah. know, the, the, luckily our copyright laws have gotten a lot better. But you look at the chatterbait. How many times has chatterbait been knocked off? And see, uh, man, listen, they, they're a strong company and they went after them. They, and I don't think they've ever lost one. I think yeah. that patent's about to run out, actually. But, you know, that was a good example. The yeah. fishing industry probably has more, you know, items, your lures, whatever, uh, that has been knocked off than anything else out there, you know, in the, in the, really any industry. Yeah. 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 A lot, a lot of that happens. A lot of that happens. Uh, I want to circle back and I do want to talk to you a little bit about, you mentioned, uh, you know, like everybody nowadays thinks they can go to Best Buy and <laughs> And great, like the technology of cameras, right? Has you know, you could get a digital camera, you can, you know, for crying out loud, Shane, the cell phones now are crazy, oh, right? They take on that one. <laughs> does that what do you think about that? Does that irk you a little bit that everybody thinks they're a professional photographer? Well, <laughs> yes, it does. And so, what kills me is when Apple created the portrait mode, all right? So in order for so the portrait mode what it does is it takes the person or two people whatever and it makes them very sharp and glamorous and it blurs the background yeah in order for us to do that with a camera you've got to have a two thousand dollar lens minimum you've got to know to set it on 2.8 you got to know to set it on this whatever it takes a lot of like knowledge technical knowledge to know how to operate that yeah. now you can be like oh let me just put this in portrait mode and you guys get ready and i'm like are you kidding me right now it's anyway. it's unbelievable. I've had so many people in my fishing career, you know, say I could take a picture like that, and you know, 
whether it's with a ca good camera or a cell phone or whatever. And then I look at the image and I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but in their mind, they, they can do it. But, uh, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of that, though, too, happens with like fishing. Like, a, like, a, like another good example analogy maybe is, you know, with the technology now. Did you know you, you've seen these guys out here? Dude, they've got these electronics. You can do amazing things with them, right? Like you turn it on. You can look forward 60 feet. You can look to the side. You can look down. A fish looks like a fish. You know, I think, I think in the age of technology, you know, a lot of people can get into it easier from that end. Right. But they lose, you know, like you mentioned, like you went and put the work in, right? Like you went and studied and you you grind it like nothing replaces that right and in 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 the photography world it's the same right like even with the best camera in the world it doesn't mean that you're a great photographer unless you have that core knowledge behind it is that the same i think so yeah i mean i yeah. see people it really comes down to sometimes the composition um i think god gave us gifts you know it's up to us to use those gifts if yeah. you waste it and blow it then that's your problem but you have someone that has natural ability on composition. Yeah. And when I say composition, that was what I was talking about earlier about positioning the angler, the mountains, whatever. Knowing how things just kind of lie naturally, either you have it or you don't. And it does suck that, you know, when I was in school, we were going out shooting film, come back to the studio, go in the dark room, scroll it onto a, a, a metal reel, put it in a solution that you hope that you got right when you mixed it, shake it up and agitate it. Then you clip an end of it off and you run a little piece about this long through the processing to see if it's dark or light. If it's dark, then you you pull it. If it's, if it's bright, you push it, whatever. I mean, and you would, what that means is you would overexpose the film or overdevelop it in the canister. Mm. Now you just go buy a camera and you go click and the learning curve is a million times different. Oh, right. it's too dark. Oh, it's too light. And you the learning is good for you know young people getting into it, but they need to understand really about you know, the old school way. And I think yeah. you know, processing the dark room and, and watching that white blank piece of paper come to life in front of your eyes, nothing can ever, ever compare to that. Yeah. So the dark room for everybody watching and listening, the dark room was like the flasher. <laughs> if you could grasp the flasher, <laughs> you're probably a better fisherman. I, I actually never even, I, I did have a flasher on my first boat because it came with a flasher, but I actually... My first unit was just a standard 2D. Uh, it wasn't even a Lowrance. It was an Eagle. They had they had a cheaper brand called Eagle back then. And um, that was my first unit. But I did learn on 2D. It was like pixels. And it was like little boxes. It almost looked like Cubert, uh, <laughs> the old video game. You know who still has an Eagle on their boat right now? David Fritz. Yeah, exactly right. You he does. You Isn't that why? great? No. He said that when he fishes grassy lakes, he's able to see the holes in the grass better wow. with that flasher than he can with traditional sonar. Yeah. I Every time I walk past his boat, I'm amazed because he has one. I think he has two mounted. I think he actually has one up front and one at the console. And uh, the chair which, up front. Yeah, which is amazing. It's amazing. If someone says, hey, go get David Fritz, all I got to do is go down the lake 100 miles an hour and look for somebody sitting down. And it's going to be a local or it's going to be David Fritz. Yeah, what a, probably two guys on the elites that use the chair up front. He's one of them. Uh, I, I, before we keep going, I do want to – there are people listening and watching. I've been kind of harsh on, you know, amateur photographers. But there are a lot of people watching and listening that are interested in it, right? So two questions, Shane. First one is give us just – give a listener that wants to take a better fishing photo. Give them just a piece of advice, you know, whether they're using their iPhone or they're using a good camera. Is there a tip you can give to take a good fishing picture? Um, I, I think it's about it's about lighting. You got to look at lighting first. If you use an iPhone, you can't. I, I backlight everything. If you look at, you know, when I was doing the product stuff in studio. Spoons and forks and napkins, I was like, I'll never use this information ever. But guess what's reflective? Fishing lures firearms, ammo, uh, that's, a lot of that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think that with the, with the iPhone, you can't backlight things because it kind of blows out the image. Um, yes. You know, I, I think it's about just put your camera on manual. If you're not using a phone, you put it on manual. 
Oh my yeah. God. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, there's so many YouTube videos out there. that tells you what to do and how to do it. Yeah. People who run their camera on program or automatic. Oh, it was dark outside and my photos are blurry. Yeah. Because you put on sports mode and you can't do things moving with that. So I think if people would put their camera on manual and don't go shoot a job with it, if someone's paying you a couple hundred bucks to shoot a family, whatever, go play with that and practice with it, put it on manual, yeah. watch a few videos. And I think that would help them out tremendously. Yeah. It's a good, good tip. And then the second thing I, I want to make sure that people, there are people watching and listening that are like, they're like 17, they're 18, they're, they're a sophomore in college. And they're like, man, I really would love to pursue photography as a profession. What, what, what would your advice be to, to them if they're watching or listening? So pick the genre you want to be in. You know, if it's shooting weddings, if it's shooting families, babies, whatever, pick the genre that you want to be in and then go to, go to a Google and type in um, fashion photographers, Atlanta or best of fashion photographers or mm. best of product shooters and be a photo assistant. Yeah. It, it, you'll listen. A photo assistant makes 450 bucks a day. You know, it's not jump change. You'll find what niche you want to be in, find the best there is in the country, call them and try to be a photo assistant because you're getting paid to learn the whole time. Now right. you're also someone's bitch. I'll be honest with you. There was some photographers I work with and I won't say any names, but you, you were, you were their bitch. And, and you know what? I've kind of got to that point where I'm like, Hey, go get that case because I ain't picking that shit up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll learn. I still assist. There's a couple of guys that come to Atlanta. I still assist them to this day because they're friends of mine now. And I literally still learn from them. Yeah. You know, you can learn so much in school. I, I, everything I learned, honestly, wasn't in college. It was after I got out and became a photo assistant. In the real world, doing the real world stuff, watching these guys, watching how they work. Yep. And business. They don't teach you that in, in really in school. Business is, is the hard part. Like, well, hey, why is this estimate? You know, if I go do a family photo, it's 500 bucks. If I do a commercial photo, it's maybe five grand. Yeah. Because the usage and the, the business side, dude, if you work with a photographer that trusts you or that you trust them, you can learn a lot about that side. of. It. I know photographers are terrible business people and they fail. And I know terrible photographers are good business people and they do well. Right. Yeah. Right. Same in fishing. <laughs> right. Same in fishing. I know some fishermen that are just sick, like the best fishermen that ever walked the face of the earth, and they couldn't promote a freaking pencil. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the same thing. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. And I, I, I do want to call you the plate on, uh, I, I know, you know, this guy, uh, and, and I know some people watching and listening also know this guy. Um, do you know a guy by the name of the Durants? Yeah, I do. Yeah. What T talk about who is he and where, what's his deal? Like, where did he come from? And, so why are his Why are his eyes so big? He's got he's got really big eyes too. He, he's over there sitting actually listening to the podcast right now because when he heard about it, he said, "Man, can I come over here and watch you guys? You know, do your podcast." And he drinks a lot of beer and stuff. He gets on my nerves. But so I guess about ten years ago, um, Phil Necro Nugsy, he was a pitcher for the Braves. Probably one of the. I mean, they don't throw knuckleballs anymore. But Phil Necro lived around the corner from me, and uh, we worked on a charity event together. Uh, with you know helping uh, soldiers that come back from Afghanistan, special operations. It's called um, Operation One Voice, and and Phil introduced me to Durant, and he he helped me out with creating that character. And unfortunately, we lost Phil a few years ago, but uh, he kind of stuck around, and and people keep asking or requesting for him, and I I can't say no. So, you know, we'll we'll get him on here, you know, whenever you're ready. Yeah, I, I'd like to get him on. I, I think there's a lot of people watching right now that have no idea who the Durants is. Uh, I'd, I'd like to get him on. You think he would make just a quick appearance, even for like five yeah. minutes? I mean, hey, Durants. Yeah. You want to be on uh, this Ike show over here? Yeah, I think so. Hang on, go get him real quick. Hang on. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk to him. Wow, this is great. We're, gonna, we're getting two guests in one show. What a treat this is. It's very unusual. Hey, man, Durant's right here. Hey, <laughs> how you doing, man? I was over there drinking beer and stuff, and I heard my Dave. I was like, I can't believe that Ike is asking me to be on TV. Man, this is awesome. All right, so you, you met Shane for the first time. What did you think when you first met Shane? Man, I thought he was cool. I was like, hey, man, can you be my brother? And I'm the only child I'm adopted, so I was like, yeah, hey, I be my brother. And then we slapped hands and cut fingers and did the blood thing, and then we, that we, we blood brother, man. 
That's all we had to do. We arm wrestle sometimes. You know, I thought one day I'll arm wrestle Tyler Vent on TV. Man, that's crazy. Now, I want your opinion. Um, Shane has has filmed, uh, photographed a lot of stuff. Uh, bass or boobies? What are you going for in a perfect boobies, world? Boobies, 100%, man. Boobies, the boobies. Yes. He went from ass to bass, bass to ass. That's all about boobies, man. 100%. <laughs> Wow. All right. Now I mentioned this to Shane right before you came on. Um, I've interviewed a lot of folks and uh, I'd like to highlight when I look at them, I like to highlight things that really stand out. You have, you, you have amazing eyes. Yeah. Were big. you born, were you born with those or is it cosmetic or what, what's the. Well, I, I, I was in a train accident when I was a baby and you know, they put me on the tracks, like one of those coins, you know, when you put on the track and it flattens out. Right. Yeah, that kind of what happened to me. And so they, they put me back together. And but yeah, let me tell you one thing. It's hard to find sunglasses these days. I've been trying to work up a deal with a sunglass sponsor for years, man. I can't find nobody helping us with sunglasses. Man, I, I had an old sponsor called Cocoons. They were them real big giant ones. And I, I should have I, I wish I would have known. I would have saved you a pair. I don't work with them anymore. But uh I, I gotta I gotta also mention this. I'm I'm looking at I'm flattered. You have an iCat on. Oh, I do. You know what? I stole it. He wasn't looking. He was over in his boat. <laughs> I, was, I snatched that son of a I was like, I was going to ask for an autograph. I was like, well, then he had no, I took his hat. So I didn't say anything. Wow. Well, I, I'm, I'm happy you're wearing that hat. It, it looks awesome. It it's looks a awesome. lucky hat. When I go area hunting, fishing, in the middle of Texas, I do all that redneck stuff, man. I get my lucky hat always. All right. I got one good last question for you. This world is crazy right now uh, between people going nuts, between the smoke. I'm up here in the Northeast. We got we can't even walk outside. We got smoke for crying out loud. What is going on with the world? What 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 can we do to fix this world? It's kind of messed up right now. Uh, well, I guess we could just you know go fishing and hunting and and we could. You know, I was thinking about starting my, my own podcast. Well, I was going to call it podcast. You know, P O T cast. And then all that smoke up there, we could flavor it and make it you know, smell like some some trees. I don't know, just whatever podcast. I think would be change people's lives. We could actually turn this smoke into a business opportunity, is what you're saying. 100%, man. I, I, smoke, you know, as weed people smoke in Atlanta, you drive through downtown Atlanta, you get into the interstate. I smell weed. I'm high from like the secondhand weed smoke until I get home. Oh, man. I, I, I think, listen, we probably need to connect after this podcast and talk about this idea because there's, there's momentum here. There's momentum. Absolutely. All right. Durant. Thank, thank you for coming on, Durance. I appreciate yeah, I, it. This is, uh, this is like the highlight of my life. I'm gonna probably send this hat back to you. Hey, give me your address and we'll get an autograph and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, 100 percent right. Don't drink me some beer. See you later. There you have it. All right, everybody. Yes, the Durance with a appearance on Ike Live. That was amazing. Shane, thank you for letting him come on here and talk to us for a second. I think you must have messed up my hair when I ran over there a minute ago. I look it looks good. You look like my son. I look like Man, my yeah, I used to like back in the club days. I need some of those like silver sunglasses now. Yo, see, here's the thing. Now, see, you you date it yourself. You're you're around my age, and hairstyles have changed. But dude, oh, yeah. the the deal with the young men right now. My son is uh, Vegas is twelve. Shane, he doesn't want to even get a haircut. Like his oh. hair is, it, it's just all over the place. It's this strange. I don't even understand it. There's no style. It's just it looks like a he looks like a big mushroom head. I well, can't even understand it, you know? So, so J.T. Harden, one of our guys, he, he does some uh, social media and, and production for, for some of our pro guys. His son, I think his name is Jacob, did a bet with Tyler Rivet and Brock and said, look, if you guys win one, I'm going to shave my head. Now, he had one of those. Do you remember in school when we had those those pencils and it had the little hairy guy on top and you would twirl Oh, yeah. Them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The... So that's kind of what he looked like. And so <laughs> – and so – um, we shaved his head uh, on the night that Brock won, and there's probably 30 people standing around. Most of them are, are adults, and most of them are, are probably between 35 and my age, you know, 50. And the, and the more we shaved, they were like, wow, you, you look really good. Like, that looks good on you. And I'm yeah. Like, they're telling you that you didn't look good before. <laughs> no, no. They think, they think they're really cool with this long hair, but I'm like, Vegas, it would look so much better trimmed, but he's 12. You can't tell him anything right now. So, or you could wear a mullet. You could go, you know, Matt Robertson and do the mullet style. At least it's the party's coming out the back, not the top. Yeah, 
Matt rocks that well. I don't know many people could rock that. He does a good job of rocking that. Yeah. And, and know, I see more and more kids, dude, that weigh ins that, that have mullets. Yeah. Just, that on them hat, and they are just, you know, they're huge fans. I, I, I eat that stuff up. They are. Uh, I want to talk about one last thing, Shane. Uh, and this is just, this is more for me uh, personally, which is you got, you got a couple cool hobbies. Uh, I've got some cool, strange, weird hobbies. And we just had Bernie Schultz on a recent podcast that I did. And he has the most amazing old lore collection. Shane, I was, I got him to talk a little bit about it. And he, he pulled a couple out for me and I was drooling looking at these baits from the 1880s beautiful like i was i was geeking out because i'm a history geek um you've got a really cool hobby and we've tried to hook up to go together it has not happened but talk a little bit about you you're you collect artifacts you do a little metal detecting you do some relic hunting talk about that because that's I, i think a lot of times people think well he's a photographer that's all he does or he's a fisherman that's all he does but that's an amazing. I, I'm I'm so anxious to get out there and look around with you. Well, so, you know, it all kind of ties together with outdoors. I started arrowhead hunting when I was eight years old. About the same time I started photography, and I came home in school had um, wanted us to do a presentation on a subject in history, which kids know nothing about these days. And so I wanted to learn about Native American. My my grandfather was pretty much full blood Cherokee, and he matter of fact he never shaved his whole life, never had any facial hair ever. Wow. Now I'm adopted, so, you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of Native American going on here. But it got me interested, and so my dad took me arrowhead hunting, and um, we found a couple, and then we learned, you know, found some more farmers that had more, you know, property, and we started, it snowballed. And it, listen, it's very addictive. Just ask Drew Benton. Yeah. I got Drew involved, and he, he can't stop. But it's funny you brought that up, because this is what you find in South Georgia, all right? Whoa! So that, that that's a knife. It's probably uh woodland woodland period maybe four to six thousand years old this is what you find in south georgia matter of fact i found this on the trip i invited you on oh my god that is unbelievable then this is what you find in north georgia (laughs) wow the material is different right so this this is quartzite it's hard to flake indians couldn't do much with it i mean that wouldn't even cut my wrist if i wanted to kill myself right now i mean but the difference is, is, is the flint, the material they had to work with. You know, if you're, yeah. if you're making a lure and you try to make it out of pine, it probably isn't going to turn out as good as balsa. Um, but me, that's something me and my dad do. We've been doing it for, oh boy, 40, this will be the 41st year collecting artifacts. Wow. And we what have is- a great collection and, and, you know, something that me and him do. And, and that's led to me into metal detecting and other things as well. Yeah. What an amazing hobby. I mean, that connection with history, like I, I'm, as you were show show that again because I'm like I, I can't stop looking at it. that is unfucking believable, but like tell me about the moment that how tell me about that particular find because like I'm closing my eyes and visualizing if I see that on the ground or if I'm digging and that comes out, dude, I'm freaking the fuck out. Right. Like I'm going full blown Ike <laughs> if I find that thing. Tell me about the moment you found that. Tell me about that feeling when you find something like that. So this this particular arrowhead, we I found um, digging, and and what I want people to know is we're not digging into mounds, we're not digging into Indian graves. Right. Most of the arrowheads that we find in South Georgia, South Alabama, are woodland archaic capalia, which is from four thousand to thirteen thousand five hundred years ago. So we're digging in soil, um, and it's a lot of work. You you don't just go and scratch around the ground. You dig down. <laughs> I call it titty deep because in most places where we dig in South Georgia, you dig down until you hit what they call the clay pan, which is hard clay, mm. or you dig until you stop finding flakes of arrowheads. Right. And it's called, we, I call it titty deep. I'm five, seven. And that's about anyway. So when you move that much dirt and you find the, to back up a little bit on history. So a hundred million years ago, the coastline in the Southeast of America came through Savannah, Georgia, Albany, Georgia, Eufaula, Alabama. We find shark's teeth in Eufaula, Alabama. Wow. Think about that. Yep. And then it went to Montgomery, and the coastline went back up into the Midwest. Well, that's all beach sand. That's why you don't find a lot of rocks in that part of the country. Mm. Um, so when you're in there digging, 
and you have that tool and you hit something in the sand, it, it makes this noise like your teacher did on, on the chalkboard when you're a kid, that sound it makes. And you're like, and you get excited. And when you see the point coming out and Ooh. you see it has workmanship on it, yeah, it literally, it's a, an adrenaline rush. It's like, I've caught several wow. fish over 10, a bunch over eight. And it's like hooking that eight pounder on a top water plug and you get it in the boat. And that yell that you do, especially that is the exact same thing that you get with this. When you show it to somebody, you're like this. Look what I got. Shaking, man. shaking. Yeah. Rush. If you could bottle that, we'd be millionaires for sure. Dude, it it's so you're so right when you were describing that because um, you know, that feeling of a big fish, the minute you get your hand on it and it's in the boat is so similar to that. And right. uh I, I've never I cannot wait to find my first arrowhead with you, but I've had I've I've found old coins and I've found old bottles and the feeling is so similar as you described it, you know, and especially when it comes out whole, you know, like I've, I've had bottle digs where, you know, you see the base of it. Oh, yeah. And you're picking away at it. You, you know, you don't know till you it you pull it. And then the moment that you see it's whole and, you know, you're holding something. And in my case with bottles, it's from the 1840s or 50s, which is nothing compared to the history of that. But that history that you're holding is something very, very special about that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you could replace that with other things, but I love that history. Uh, that's such, such a cool, such a cool hobby. This it's unbelievable. About, you know, during COVID, me and my dad took up flint napping and, and that's making arrowheads, right? The hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life or, or wow. tried to do because you yeah. take a block of rock and the whole idea is to get it down symmetrical as thin as possible and you have to be able to put an edge on it and not break it. Mm. If you were making this arrowhead and you were to hit it on the tip right here, and now you've already made the arrowhead, you're ready to go, you're ready to go hunting. Yeah. And you hit it too hard the wrong way, guess where it breaks? Right in the dead center in the middle. Wow. It is so difficult. But yeah. you know, the, the, besides arrowhead hunting, um, I hooked up with a company called Nocta at SHOT Show last year, and they're like, oh, you like arrowhead hunting? We, we're, we're a metal detecting company. Mm. And I said, well, I like a metal detecting. I know nothing about it. I've had one my entire life, but I go outside and it goes beep, beep, beep. And I find bottle caps and, you know, aluminum and I give up. He goes, well, let's let, let me send you one and try it out. So yeah. I made it. I made a decision this year before bass started. I want to find a cool artifact in every single place I go with bass this year. And yeah, so I went to Santee Cooper. And, and if you're not a big history buff, you have to know that the Revolutionary War was fought there. General Marion was, if you're familiar with the, the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson, he was General Marion. And so I found where Marion was buried. And we're talking late 1700s. And I asked the guy, hey, can I metal tech your property? Expecting a no, because that's usually what you get, right? Yeah. And he goes, well, you work for Bass. I, I trust you. <laughs> I said, okay, good. And so he let me go metal detecting. And I metal detected for two days, found some cool stuff, found some you know, nail, handmade nails and whatever. Well, the last day, and you guys were practicing at this moment, actually. You remember that thunderstorm that rolled in at Santee Cooper the very yeah. end of the day, and it was lightning yeah. and wind, and I was running back to the truck because I was out in the middle of freaking nowhere. And in order to metal attack, you have to swing that head back and forth to get a good signal. And I'm in the woods, so it's hard to be able to do that. Well, right by the truck or my Jeep, there was an anthill, and it was about, you know, this big. And it was clear around the anthill. And so I was like, you know, I'll go scan that before I get in the car. And I went over it and it made this really high pitched beep sound. And with metal detectors, they the the sound of the beeps, the level of the low tone low tone to high tone tells you what kind of metal it is. Right. The material. So I've, yeah. I've learned that recently. And it, I've been finding iron all day, low tone, poof, poof, poof. And then beep, this really, really high pitch. And I went, Oh, now this is in the middle of these ants. They're about they're not fire ants. But they're like fire ants on freaking steroids. They're ginormous, right? And it went <laughs> beep. And I was, I'm like, dude, am I? And the thunderstorm's coming. It's raining. The wind's blowing. I, I stuck the shovel in that hill. And ants, dude, they went freaking everywhere. They covered the ground. They're all over me. And they have this thing called the pointer. And the pointer is a little stick that is a very sensitive metal. Yeah. When you, so I stuck it in the ground. It's going crazy. And I roll it over. I think it's a washer, you know, and it's bright and shiny. And I pick it up and I brush it off. 
And talking about catching a 12-pound largemouth, this was my 12-pound largemouth. Wow. A six-pound test line. It was a 1774 silver Spanish piece of eight. It was one-eighth of a peso. When I saw the date, I literally I literally almost cried, bro. Like, like I sat down because it was so much hard work. You're practicing, yeah. you're practicing for four days or three days for you know to find fish. You know, you get in the tournament, you, you fish against the best in the world, you catch that 25-pound bag in the very last day. That was my 25-pound bag right there. Yeah. It was gratifying. Wow. That's so cool. What a, what an amazing find. And uh my uncle, my uncle Don is a bit of big metal detector. Uh so I know, I know what that means. And I know, I know what that looks like. I've been with them where that find is sticking like out like that in the hole. And, and, uh, that's incredible. What a cool story. And it's Santee too, of all places. Please make them go. Let's go back there next year. Uh, a world, a, a world-class <laughs> metal detecting find in a world-class bass fishery hand in hand. Yep. That's great. Well, I'd love to go back to Santee. If somebody from bass is listening, we're crying out loud. Don't go back to the Sabine. <laughs> go to Santee for every tournament. We'll start there in February and we'll end there in September. Every tournament on Santee. Uh, maybe one on the Delaware River too, sprinkled in there just for good measure. Uh, Shane, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on, dude. It's so nice to have uh, friends on, people on that that aren't just hardcore tournament fishermen. I love to hear these other stories and uh, – Man, again, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, your your imageries are be beautiful. Your images are beautiful, and we need that. Like fishing needs that. You know, we we need we need people to see the beauty of the sport. Um, and you do a great job. So thank you for coming on, Ike Live tonight. It's been fun. Thanks for the invitation. I, I was a little nervous. I mean, because you're kind of a big deal around here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. And, and you got to uh, tell the Durants we said thank you too. If he's still sitting over there. Hey Durants, yeah. I said thank you. Thanks, man. I'm a great physicalist. <laughs> and I'm trying to think. I'm going to see. I'll, I'll see you here. We got a little bit of a break, but I'll. I'm guessing. Let me see. Am I going to see you at ICAST? Will probably be the next time I see you. Oh yeah, I've been made the official lead photographer of ICAST by American Sports Fishing Association. Ooh, <laughs> I don't have you know, that or something. I don't know. That's a cool title. I like it. Well, I'll definitely see it ICAST if not before and. uh and got to keep me filled in, man. Send me a text if any Spanish coins or arrowheads come popping back up. You got to keep me in a loop. I need pictures. We got to go. You got to let me know when you're down this way. We got to go. We got to go. This fall for sure. Listen, I, if I'm saying it on live, it's going to happen. This, if not before, this fall, I'm coming to see you. I'm telling Beck, Beck, I'm gone for two or three days. I'm not coming back. I'm hunting with Shane. We're doing it. Come find some pointy rocks. I'd like to do that. All right, dude. Shane, thanks for coming on the show. You got it, brother. Thank All you. Right. Have a good one. See ya. There you have it, everybody. Yes! Yes, yes, yes! So cool, man. Uh, my buddy Shane on, one of the best photographers uh, in the sport of fishing. Uh, man, I hope you've been on Bassmaster.com lately or looking through the pages of Bassmaster Magazine and got to see some of Shane's images. If not... Shane's got Instagram, Facebook. Uh, he's got a website. Check out his images. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. Very, very good at what he does. One of the best in the sport for sure. Uh, what a great interview. Uh, all right, guys. I know this is the part a lot of you are waiting for. We are going to do a mystery tackle box unboxing. Tonight, I'm going to go ahead and just do an elite box for you guys. Uh, you know, this is the maroon one, reddish maroon, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're going to see what's inside. I'm going to pick out two or three of my favorite lures. And remember, this could come to your doorstep once a month. Head on over to mysterytacklebox.com. Use the promo code IKELIVE, and you're going to get 30% off this actual box. All right. I'm going to break the seal. I love that noise of that seal popping. There it goes. We're going to open this thing up. It's a heavy box this month, too. I wonder what's in here. Oh, boy. We got a good box. Guys, load it as usual. I see some hooks. I see a shallow diving crankbait. I see a lipless. I see a walking bait. I, I see a lot of baits that might make it to the northern swing for me. We've got a swim jig. We've got a buzz bait. We've got uh, some streak Zs. 
We've got some go. Dude, this box is loaded. We got Duo Realis swim baits. We got another jig. This box is loaded. All right. Got to pick something. Okay. I'm going. Oh, boy. What should I do? All right. I'm going here and here. By the way, Streak Z, this is the Bassmaster Classic winning bait that Gussie used to win uh, down there in Knoxville. Besides those baits, here are my two favorites, guys. The buzz bait caught my eye. The buzz bait caught my eye. And this is a Lunker Hut Hunt Turbine. And the reason this caught my eye is the color and the clacker. Okay? So, you know, everybody's got a buzz bait. But this is a black blue skirt buzz bait. I do not think I own a buzz bait that has a black and blue skirt. Most of them are black only. So I like the skirt color, but there's the deal. And let me see if I can give you a good view of that right there is a clacker. And, you know, when you want extra noise with a buzz bait, um, if the water's dirty, if you're fishing low light at night, that clacker makes this thing loud. So I love the buzz bait. And then for my second one, dude, talk about the timeliness of me getting this in this box. Uh, I see a picture picture of Brandon Polinick on the front there. That's kind of scary. Look at Brandon. Kind of looks tough in that picture. Uh, Shane didn't take that picture because that's not a very good picture of Brandon. He looks tough there. But this is a goby-shaped bait. Uh, this is called, uh, let's see here. It's the Stealth Invader. And if you look at it, it looks like a freaking goby. It looks like a goby. It's got a flat bottom. It's got that really thin membrane of the dorsal fin. And the most unique thing about this, guys, I want you to see it, is that the tail is backwards on it. So it's a upside-down swim bait tail. So I could imagine it's got a little different movement. Uh, I could see fishing this on a jig head. I can see fishing this on a drop shot. And listen, if you're around gobies, match the hatch, right? Fish a bait that looks like a goby. So that's uh, X-Zone, Stealth Invader. Brandon's picture's on it. It's got to be good. Just two examples of what you'll get in your mystery tackle box every month. And you've heard me say it before. Listen, it's putting colors, shapes, techniques. It's putting stuff in your hand that you might not normally be able to get or you can't get. So I love that about mystery tackle box. Head over to mysterytacklebox.com. Use promo code IKELIVE, 30% off the Elite Box, 50% off the Pro Box. Um, I hope you enjoyed this one, man, as, as much as I did. This was a really fun show with my good buddy Shane. Uh, I hope you also like this new format, guys. We've got a lot of new ones coming for you. We've got in the next week, listen to this lineup, guys, we have... The one and only Brandon Card joining us. Uh, very, very excited to talk to Brandon. He's not only a great fisherman, but he's a good dude. And he's been through some stuff this year uh, he's going to talk about. So uh, very, 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 very uh, excited to talk to him. Then we've also got um, one of the lead designers over at Pure Fishing joining us to talk about some of the new baits coming out at iCast this year. And by the way, I know Shane mentioned it. He's going to be the lead photographer there. But uh, iCast, I think, is the second or third week of July this year. Keep your eye out for it. It's going to be really great. There's going to be some great coverage. Uh, a lot of new stuff coming out that's just, just really, really uh, incredible. So uh, keep your eye out for that. And uh, I hope you're enjoying the new show. So thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Have a good one, good luck, and good fishing. We'll see you later. Bye. You know, right now where we're standing, we're in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. Philadelphia is right there. This is the concrete jungle. And, you know, a lot of those kids, as they grow up, 
they don't fish. It's interesting because they're surrounded by water. You know, the, the Delaware River, the Schuylkill, ponds, city park lakes, but they don't have the influence to, to, to cast, to fish, to have a rod and reel. And that really, that became our focus, you know, is to target kids in what we call non-traditional areas, yeah. you know, urban areas, city centers, where the population's high. And, and let these kids have the experience. You know, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, some of the experiences we've had, whether it's Central Park in New York City, here in Camden, other parts of the country, even just casting, yeah. it's unbelievable to see it, isn't it? Yes. It's unbelievable. Yes. And, and uh, you know, you see these kids have this experience they've never had, and they light up, you know? The big thing, I think, for the Ike Foundation is we're not, we're not saying we want all these kids to become professional anglers. No. It'd be great if some of them did, but we want them to have that fishing experience because it ties them to so, so many other positive things. The outdoors, nature, conservation, conservation. Uh, ecology, um, you know, all these amazing things in life that maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to any other way, we're trying to help with that. So it's, it's important, it's important for us. Yeah. We're proud of it. I subscribe to BassU TV, and so should you. Great place to learn about anything you want to know about bass fishing. You get it at BassU. We got the best of the best. I'm not just an instructor, I'm a subscriber. I'm John Cruz, and I am a subscriber. You can always learn, and uh, watching BassU definitely helps with that. It's something that I like to do, and it's definitely something that you need to do. If I'm still learning, you should be too. Subscribe to BassU, because you'll learn how to catch a lot more fish.